This is a Glass Box Media Podcast. This podcast is sponsored by Cloud Optimizer. As a business owner or IT manager, are your cloud investment costs going up and you don't know why? It's time for Cloud Optimizer. As you migrate your business to the cloud, what you're spending and why you're spending it can get a little hazy. But Cloud Optimizer clears up the mystery and puts the cloud to work for you. Cloud Optimizer starts by analyzing usage patterns, right-sizing resources, leveraging discounts you may not be aware of, implementing automation, and much more. And by reducing unnecessary expenses and maximizing performance, Cloud Optimizer guarantees you a savings of five times what you spend for their service. As you utilize cloud-based services more and more, you don't have to lose sight or control of your spend. You can stay agile, streamline your costs, and optimize your performance, plus save significant money with Cloud Optimizer. Make the cloud work for you with Cloud Optimizer. Get a free assessment and find out how much you can save by going to cloudoptimizer.com. Go to cloudoptimizer.com for your free assessment. That's cloudoptimizer.com. Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. those difficult moments with some well-known people. I am Jim Daly and I don't know why I said it like that and joining me is the one and only Giles Paley Phillips. How are you? All right I'm just having some issues with my headphone it sort of it's you know when they sort of just crush your ear and then it's just it ends up being a bit red and painful. Ear crusher sounds like a wrestling name. Ear crushed yeah they're quite weighty on the um on the on on the on the ears there these these headphones <laughs> well, they, they're quite new headphones they look good you look professional very professional well that's what I always strive for <laughs> professionalism uh, how, unlike this intro <laughs> how's um how's your week been the week's been alright it's been quite damp and murky down here on the south coast I don't know what it's like mm, with you in Cheshire similar. but yeah it's a bit miserable similar it, has, it feels like summer's over it does feel a bit like like summer's over mm. yeah it's been um, Yes, damp, damp and murky here as well, which yeah. is why actually, you know, podcasts like this, which seamless uh, link here, um, yeah. are important for people because people are indoors a lot and not seeing people as yes. much, you know, uh, during lockdown. So um, I think people feel a connection to other people through these podcasts. Mm. And I actually think today's podcast, in terms of connection to a guest mm. and in terms of powerfulness of a guest i think this is probably our most powerful pod i mean there are points in this podcast where our guests started crying i started crying it was it was it's it's a it's a big pod this week isn't it yeah there was a lot of emotions running around I and mean, it's really powerful um a powerful conversation with um the the amazing actor david harewood who people might know from like his roles in things like homeland and Supergirl, he's been in that. I mean, he's a director, he's a writer, 
and he's writing a book at the moment as well. He said he mentioned on the podcast, but obviously he's a really well known actor. Has been around for a long time um, in this country, and we talk about some of those issues, you know, about working in this country and starting to sort of find that he work was more difficult to come across, and then moving over to working in the states where he's found lots more opportunities and um, has been in some huge shows. I mean, Homeland's been Golden Globe and Emmy nominated, so. You know, he's a fantastic actor, he's an MBE, um, and yeah, this is a really powerful conversation. We talk a lot about, um, towards the end of the pod, about his documentary, Psychosis and Me, for the BBC, and and uh, the toll that took on him just making it, yeah. um, re- revisiting some, some, some very dark moments in his past. Yeah, David's, I mean, David's a very powerful actor anyway, and incredibly successful and incredibly well-known, and has worked so hard for a long time, but he talks about some really honest moments here in his career. And, you know, my wife's an actor, so I know how difficult acting can be and how up and down it can be. But David's talking about some seriously down moments, you know, um, before he even, you know, before he gets Homeland, which is, which is a massive role. So mm-hmm. I think we should just delve straight into it because this, this is a podcast that de- definitely, I think, deserves... People's yes. attention. Less of us. Less of and us. More and David, David. Absolutely. And we hope that you um, uh, get as much out of this podcast as we did recording it. Um, so this is the one and only David Harewood on the Blank Podcast. Charles, how are you? I'm very well. How are you? I'm good, mate. Good, good, good. Finally. <laughs> and this is Jim. Jim, who hey, I do Jim, the podcast with. Great to meet you, yeah. David. Great to see you. Great to see you. So, how are things? Things are fucking great, actually. Really, uh, you know, I've, 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 had a, I've had a real rest. Uh, lockdown's been strangely um, beneficial for me, I would say. Just having an opportunity to just stop. I haven't stopped in about six years. Um I'm either here or in yeah. or in or in Vancouver or in LA or in New York and travelling and working and acting mm. and playing other people. And this has been a real chance to to stop and just get back in touch with myself, get back in touch with my family, get back in touch with being a dad, mm. uh cooking yeah. for the family, going to the fucking supermarket and you know, cooking. <laughs> yeah. It's I've loved it. It's been a real time to just just strip everything away and just get back to back to normal. So I've I've I found it very, um, very rewarding, actually. Yeah, because you, I mean, you're a busy guy. You've been working incredibly hard for the last 30 years. You know, you're, you're, you're busy. Yeah, I mean, I mean, uh, about, well, I would say, I would say it's been 26 years of surviving (laughs) and and six years of of working. (laughs) I mean, the last six, since Homeland, it's just been extraordinary. And, and, um, and lovely, you know, getting that respect. And I'm, you know, been, what I'm dealing with this week is 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 thinking that how how um, um, you know for those 24 years, it's been um, just having no sense of value in 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 England, just feeling like I don't, I have no value. And I, I've discovered in America, in America, people treat me with real respect, particularly since, as I say, doing Homeland, um, treat you with respect as an actor and as an artist and and uh, it, it's been a revelation to me to feel that feel that you know I, I have value, and uh, that's really really nice. And coming coming back here, how 
how um, that is diminishing by the day in it, being oh, in England. I, I, you just, I just feel myself slowly losing uh, pounds, <laughs> just losing dollar signs, just <laughs> flying out of me uh, because, uh, because you, you don't get that sort of respect here in this country. And um, it's, it's, uh, it's, but, it, but at the same time, because I know I'm going back, um, you know, I, I, I kind of, it's, 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 it's been good because I, I, you know, I, I know I've still got a you know career to, to go back to out there, and um, uh, so so yeah, it's 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 been it's been interesting coming home, but also discombobulating. Yeah, that surprises me. I I'd think it'd be the other way around. Mm-hmm. Or I don't know why, why why do you not get the respect here that you do over there? You're so established. I don't that that doesn't I don't understand that. I think it's established only purely because I've been fucking doing it for so long. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I mean, again. I could look through my credits, and it's interesting how that wonderful black actor Earl Cameron, uh, who died last week, I think, 102 years old, one of the one of the first British black actors, or, 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 or one of the first black actors to become a um, appear in movies and on screen over here. And just looking at his credits, and fuck, man, he had an extraordinary movie movie career. Uh, so you know, sometimes appearing as you know, just you know, you know, the, you know it was probably the first time British audiences had seen a black person on screen. And I was thinking about that in terms of my career, and you know, I was I had a great, I was very busy when I came out, but often it was, often it was simply being you know, I was the first sort of I was the first generation of trained, rather trained black actors that kind of came out kind of safe bets really for, 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 for the likes of ITV and BBC. And, and, and a lot of the times they weren't particularly challenging roles. They were just like, Oh, we've got an exotic, got the black person. Yeah. So I, you know, there's a lot of that in my career. And, I, and yeah. I, I, I look back and I think, fuck, I would, you know, now, you know, you've got young actors like John Boyega, Daniel Kaluuya coming out, doing much more interesting three dimensional roles yeah. where they're, where they're, where they're fully, fully formed characters and and then fucking off to america because they know there's nothing for them to do here whereas i had to wade through a lot of those very boring yeah unchallenging roles um that again i look through my cv and half of it i i wouldn't even dream of doing now but then they were the only roles that were available to me so uh i think i've gone through that and uh, kind of underpinned it with a with a with a extensive theatrical uh career and, I, and I've loved the th- the theatre stuff. I've done. loved it, you know. Leah playing Leah uh, playing uh, Othello at the National. I've un- underpinned it with some serious theatre role, but I, roles. But I could never match that sort of um, weight and complexity on screen. It was definitely boring for me on screen. So that's what's been really really wonderful about this American. Uh, uh, act of my life is I'm really getting these challenging roles, three-dimensional roles, getting not just to be a black person, I'm a, a Martian, I'm a yeah. head of the CIA, yeah. or I'm, you know, I'm yeah, doing yeah. all these really interesting things that were just never, never open to me as a, as a, as a, as a young Brit. So I'm really, really enjoying, enjoying this latter half of my career. Which is the way it should be for any actor, no matter mm. where they come from. But do you think that the likes of John Boyega are getting to those roles younger because the likes of you and other black actors from your time went through those other roles? And did they use sort of like the pioneer for them that these younger generation can then get these other roles? 
Well, we all stand on the shoulders of everybody, you know. So, 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 you know, I stood on the shoulders of the Norman Beatons and Don Warringtons, and uh, uh, you know, and and uh, uh, and and so, so we've all opened the door a yeah. little bit wider. And it, you know, when I first got to America, I was, you know, I'd go to these Hollywood do's, and and I'd I'd, I'd be the only black Brit there. And I think the last time I went to um, Comic Con. You know, it's it's wonderful. You kind of go through the party and you go, oh, fuck me, so-and-so. And then you suddenly, <laughs> yeah. and the last time, there were like four or five of us. And it was just great. And I thought, my God, you know, I can remember being the only black Brit here. And now there's five, six, and there's a black, uh, young black actress there. And I think, and it's wonderful to see that. Wonderful to see mm. that there's now a, the, a tried and tested route yeah. from Harsden or Birmingham or Leicester or wherever they're from there's a tried and tested route from there right to Hollywood. Yeah. And, and, and that generation are actually now above me in the pecking order, which you know, I don't, I've got no, no qualms with, but I can understand, you know, I was speaking to one of the young actresses and she was saying that you know, she, was, she, she does get sometimes get a little bit of grief from the older generation. And I, I just explained to her, I said, well, it's only because you're getting opportunities given to you mm. that they just never had. Mm. And, and, you know, th- things are now coming your way, which you find, na- it's great, it's great, it's natural that you're suddenly going to be a lead in a major Hollywood movie, but you know, for us, that was just, that was, it just wasn't possible. Yeah. Uh, and and it's, it's, it's inspiring to see it, and I'm really, really happy for them. Um, but, you know, they're, they're, they're opportunities that just weren't open to us. Mm. I mean, you talked about, obviously, growing up in Birmingham, Birmingham, um, was acting something that you discovered at a young age or was it something that sort of developed later on? God, no, I used to fucking classroom clown. I was just an absolute <laughs> nightmare for the kids, the teachers. I, I, um, I'm writing this in a, in, in, I'm starting to write a book and, um, um, you know, I, I sort of, I sort of grew up watching in the golden age of, of TV interviews, watching, uh, you know, Jack Lemmon yes. being interviewed by yeah. Parkinson. And, yeah. Uh, you know, yeah. Spencer Tracy being interviewed by Wogan, and he used to think, fuck, you know, they were they were they weren't like a YouTube star, or they weren't talking about you know cars, or they were talking about their choices as, as, as actors. And it was actually funny that during lockdown, I think a BBC Arena, BBC Two was showing a, a, a lot of the those old arena um, interviews mm. with the likes of uh, um, uh, Kirk Douglas and. Um, and 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 uh, you know, um, God, Tony Curtis, and I'm like, and I was glued because I I used to be glued to those guys and hearing them talk about their their careers and acting, and they always kind of slightly sort of, I I, I guess it was kind of turning me on to acting, but I had no idea about it. I was always just naturally funny, and I you know I grew up, but luckily my parents loved sitcoms and british comedies so i grew up watching monty python and dick emery and tommy cooper and just loving comedy and performance and and i was kind of naturally funny and um i i sort of would, would be messing about in school and messing about in class and 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 i i, I guess that sort of led me led to me to being in a lot of the remedial groups and never, ne- never <laughs> yeah. being in the kind of flying groups. And, you know, my mates were doing algebra where I was still reading, you know, Peter, John and Mary or something. <laughs> but um, uh, at the end of school, I was always in school plays and 
you know, sort of messing about in school assemblies and stuff. And literally on the, about a week to go, two weeks ago before the end of school, uh, I was been popping into the school library, careers library, you know, looking at fucking blokes in bun- with Bunsen burners, looking at, you know, am I going to be a, am I going to go and work down, work down at Leyland or work down the Ford factory? Or I, None of it was made any sense to me. I, I didn't know what I was going to do. And a teacher, teacher just said to me, um, called, called me at home and said, you know, come into school. We've got something we want to ask you. And I, I thought I was just in trouble again. And I kind of <laughs> went into school and I met my teacher, Mr. Reader, and Mr. Mrs. Woods. And they, they sat me down and they said, so what are you going to do when you leave? And I went, I know, I know. And I was kind of ummed and ah. And he looked at me and he went, well, we've been talking in the staff room and we think you should be an actor. Wow. <laughs> and this fucking light bulb went on in my head. It was like a eureka moment. I went, yeah. Fuck. Oh, yeah, 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 I could do that, I could do that. And then we spent the next next two weeks just writing letters to drama schools and I auditioned for the Birmingham Youth Theatre and got rejected and then I got auditioned for the National Youth Theatre and got accepted and went down to London and had a wonderful, wonderful six week, six weeks over the summer, I think it was a two-week course. And at the end of that, they said, you know, you're good, you, you know, you, you should come back. So I came back the following year and then again one of the tutors said, you should go to drama school. And it just evolved. Next thing I know, I'm a fucking RADA. <laughs> and um, you know, you had a young black kid from Birmingham, and I was like, I'm a RADA. It was just like, wow. It all happened very, very quickly. Um, but I, I've really slotted into it quite naturally. And I, I, you know, I, thank, I thank my lucky stars that I had teachers that mm. were imaginative enough to even suggest it. It, yeah, it comes up on this podcast shelf a lot, doesn't it? Did this always people talk about yeah. there's Look, often this one person or, or there's, mm. there's like a mentor or someone they're younger, often a teacher that pushes them in the right direction. And yeah, I, th- I think we have to be grateful sometimes that we are lucky enough to have these people, like you say, to to help you focus in that moment or give you that light bulb idea. And it's just so funny how it often comes down to to this one mentor or this one person. It happens. Life is full of chances, isn't it? And it's, it's absolutely. And you know, you, you, you can, you know, and that's why I, ne- I try never to. I always try to get involved with people, or you know, people have a, you know, um, people come to me with, you know, could you talk to my son, or you know, could you do this, could you do that? I always try and do it because you never know. You might be the one person that swings that person round onto the straight and narrow. And, yeah. Um, I, you know, I've done a lot of work with you know, you know underprivileged kids and disadvantaged kids and troubled youth and uh, i'm amazed at how many of them are just brilliant natural actors mm. and um uh i was pleased to see that one of the one of the young men that uh i worked with ended up being you know in a in a in a, a big movie wow. you know and i sat there and watched him i thought fuck look at that you know that kid was was you know two steps away from prison and um here he is now having turned his life around so it's great to see when that happens it's really inspiring yeah yeah, it's amazing. Yeah, I mean, it's having that, having someone have some belief in you, and I think we use the word intervention quite in, often in a sort of negative way, but actually, sometimes you can have these positive interventions in your life when you're at a point. You know, for you, you were unsure what the next step was possibly, mm. and someone came and, and said, "Do you know what? You'd be really good at doing this." Yeah. yeah, and and gave you that kind of inspiration and and um, that recognition so that you could carry on. I think that's you know, it's always a beautiful thing to hear. Without without a doubt, I mean, as I say, with you know, with, without them, I would never have done it. 
mm. you know i i didn't even think it was possible you know uh, you know for a, and when i think of when i think back you know and i think you know a, a young black kid from birmingham ended up in a golden globe winning series playing the head of the cia it just doesn't yeah i think how the fuck did that happen <laughs> yeah a kid from small heath you know you know and all the you know the hurdles and the breakdown and you know i've come seem to have gone through this crazy myriad of a career and faced all these challenges and and, and yet somehow managed to you know be successful at it which is i still to this day it, it's you have to pinch yourself and think you know how, how did that happen but yeah you know I, i've said before that you know the last the weekend before i got i left to go and do homeland i had 80 quid left in the bank wow oh man i was done you know my career here was done and i knew i knew that my my English, there's that wonderful quote, I think Mary Astor quote, you know, the five stages of an actor's career. It's, who's David Harewood? Get me David Harewood. Get me a younger David Harewood. Get me somebody who looks like David Harewood. Who's David Harewood? And, and I, 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 was, I was definitely at the who's David Harewood point in my career in, in England. Because yeah. I'd had this one, you know, I'd had this, I'd burst onto the scene and I was in, you know, all the kind of fly, the, 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 the series of the late, early 90s. Is in all those kind of big, big shows, and I had this career in theatre, and and then it just stopped. My career just stopped, and there was a, I knew because there was a younger generation, you know, already coming out, and the, the the light was suddenly off me and onto these other guys, and and I just thought I'm done here, you know. And it was interesting. I went to a, a premiere uh, of one of these young, one of, and the, the, the guy who sort of preceded me as the the, the hot young thing, uh, Adrian Lester, who was a wonderful actor. And I went to see the premiere of his show, and Don Warrington was there. And Don Warrington, you know, of course, was in Rising Damp, and somebody I watched when I was growing up. And uh, he just said to me, he said, you know, be, you know, he said, how's it going? And I was like, oh, you know. And I think he could see it, and he said, uh, he said, be prepared for when it stops. Just be prepared for when it stops. And I kind of I looked at him, and, he, and I think he could see that I, 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 I needed, to hear, kind of needed to hear that because I needed to kind of get ready. And um, he was absolutely right. My career just stopped. So I was very, very lucky to audition for Homeland. And I haven't worked here in nearly eight, nine years. That's crazy. I think people underestimate how difficult actors' careers can be, even if it's someone you've seen on screen for ages. These, there are so many ups and downs to even people you think are established Completely. actors. And it, it, it's an incredibly, incredibly difficult job and lifestyle, no matter how long you've been doing it or how successful you think someone is. It's very, very, very hard. I think Kevin Bacon, I, think it was one of, I love these quotes. I'm a word quote person. Kevin Bacon said, it doesn't matter who you are in the business, you're all waiting for the phone to ring. And it's, it's absolutely right. Unless that phone rings, we're not doing anything. And... Mm. Um, you know, in, you know, I'm, I'm sure there's, 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 there's uh, and, and that's just us at the top, you know, we're in a roundabout at the top, but for the young, you know, for the young actors who've just left drama school in this pandemic, I mean, how are they going to get started? It's, uh, yeah. Yeah. it's, it's an extraordinary, um, it is an extraordinary career and full of pitfalls and emotional and personal pitfalls as well. And it's something, you know, we've talked to quite a few actors on this podcast as well, that you don't get 
lessons in. Like, you know, you were at RADA, you think everything's going to be great. You come in and think, well, I've been to RADA, so I'm going to, you know, I'm pretty made now. And they, you don't learn about the sort of, well, like you said, the struggle that's going to sort of enter your life as you go into this career. It's not just the struggle. You don't, you don't, you don't learn how to pay your, you know, you're, suddenly you're having to pay rent and, you know, without, yeah. you know, how'd you sign on the dole? You know, it's it's like in navigating navigating. You know, I remember I remember going on. Either I signed off the door um, when I got blood diamond, and uh, she said, to, "I went up and I said, oh, I'm just signing. You know, I'm, I'm no longer claiming." And she went, "No, oh, no, you have to fill out all these forms here. You have to fill out these forms." And uh, so, what are you doing? Oh, I went, man, "Well, yeah. I'm going to work for a movie for Warner Brothers." You what? <laughs> Yeah, I'm going to play a, you know, an act, I'm an actor. What, she just had no idea how, how none of none of the questions in the forms really matched what I was doing. Yeah, <clears throat> and um, yeah, you know, it's it, it's it's. I remember the first thing when I came out of drama school, I was really surprised by you know, at drama school, you're working with people who are keen and people who are who are um, um, people who are are. Um, um, uh, you know, sort of, sort of, they, they want to rehearse, they want to sort of, um, they want to work. Whereas in, 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 in the profession, people just want to go home. <laughs> you know, they, they, yeah. they just want to go home. They just want to, you know, they're yeah. kind of like, you know, I, I don't want to rehearse anymore. I'm done. You know, I, 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 for, I, equity, equity union says <laughs> I can go home now. And I was like, well, you know, we need to rehearse. And I, I, all that clash of suddenly working with people who weren't that, enthusiastic and it uh was 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 um a bit of a shock to the system so did that happen for you was there a moment for you where that switched from being the enthusiasm to i'm on the clock now so no no it and it, it, it never has and and um there's, there's, there's sometimes when 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 somebody will nudge me and say yeah and i'll say you know i'll say look you know the director will say look can i just shoot this scene well it's 11 o'clock we're supposed to cut off at 11 o'clock but you know, can I just shoot this one scene? And I'm like, yeah, I'm up for it. But you know, the, the lights will start getting turned off because yeah. people want to go home. Yeah. You know, you know, start plugging mm. the microphones out, and nope, nope, we're all going to go home. And I, I, I've, I've always sort of, I've always sort of, uh, I, I've not been a fan of that because I'm, 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 I'm all for the work, and I, I just want to get get the day completed and get it all done. Mm. Is that quite rare? Like, pardon my ignorance of the industry, but that that seems quite rare that you've. Someone's still got that enthusiasm, or is that is that actually more common than people would ex- expect? It, it, it is common, but you know, it's also um, it's an industry where where the more you do it, the less you want to put up with. So, if I get to a set and the director's just taking forever to set up a shot, mm. I'll just like you know, you can't help but just kind of go, "We're going to be here all day," and you know, by the end of the day. You, 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 you know, he's wasted your time. So I can see why, you know, an, an, an actor who's done fifty movies will say, "Are they ready? You know, can I walk on set right now?" You know, I can see why they. You know, and that might down the line somebody could say they're problematic. When actually, they just don't want to waste their fucking time. Yeah. You know, if you call me to the set, be ready. Yeah. You know, and um, at, the, at the same time. You know, there's a the flip side of that is I've been on sets where you know they they you know they they you know you rehearse and you set up and then you go back to your trailer and you're 
sitting there playing your computer game or you're reading your book or whatever. And then half an hour later, they knock on your door and they say, well, ready for you on set. As soon as they say that to me, I put whatever I'm doing down and I head to the set. Mm. But, you know, sometimes it's like 10 minutes, 15 minutes, yeah. 20 minutes, half an hour. People start walking to the set. And I'm like, we've just wasted half an hour here. Yeah. So, so on, on an episodic thing, like, like episode TV that I'm doing, you can waste... You can waste, at the end of the day, you probably waste three hours just waiting for actors to turn up. So yeah. Yeah. it can be um, frustrating. And I've been on flip side. Well, yeah. because also I've been, a, I've been directing. And as, you know, when you're a director and you know you're losing the light or you want to get stuff done, the last yeah, thing you yeah. want to see is an actor just sitting there like, you know, texting. <laughs> hang on a minute, you know, just, yeah. gotta, just hang on a minute. I'm just, <laughs> just ordering some ice cream for to be my mum. You know, you, you know, you've got to crack on with it. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I think it's um, sets are, seem like they're tricky places to negotiate. Sometimes would that be fair? Oh, without a doubt. And and and, and again, I mean, it's it's great. I mean, at the same time, they're great places. You know, they're they're like um, mini armies, and, and and you know, lovely crews, and you know, um, uh, and 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 just great places, great places of kind of camaraderie. But they can, if you're unlucky, be full of politics. And if this guy doesn't get on with that guy, you know, that guy won't leave his trailer to, until that guy's left his trailer, you know, and, and you get into all this little game playing and who's got the bigger chair, who's got the bigger trailer, who's got the bigger, you know, and, and, it, and it, it gets into, there's a lot of politics, a lot of ego. And, um, mm. and some people, you know, some people kind of will sort of battle with the studio. So there's lots of things where, Lots of times where, you know, that actor might be might be unhappy with the deal he's got, how much he's being paid. So he's just going to make he's just going to make every living moment hell for everybody because they haven't paid him as much as he thought he should be paid, and he won't come to work on time, or he'll be pissed, or he'll be, you know, and and that's when you start getting into, you know, I'm just going to come to work and do my stuff. Yeah. And try and try not to get involved in anybody's personal stories because um, the, the best sets are the ones where the, the lead, the number one, is keen, focused, uh, 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 professional. And because if your number one's great, you, you, if your number one is great, your number three or four on the list can't afford to be, uh, you know, yeah. a, 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 um, a pain. Yeah. Because you're not number one, will come into it and say to you, "Fucking buck your eyes ears up." Yeah. Mm, um, mm. So, so if you have, I mean, I've I've been very lucky. Claire Danes on Homeland was fantastic. And Melissa Benoist on Supergirls, fantastic. So you know, I've 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 worked with with people who are both keen and professional, and that tends to permeate through the entire company. Yeah, they say they sort of remind me of like football teams. Like you've got the director who's the manager, and then you've got all these players as the actors, and then your number one's your captain. And if your captain's leading yeah. by example, well, then you know your yeah. team falls in line. And, then, and the director's got to manage all these personalities, like a football manager yeah. has to do in the dressing room. I think it's actually probably an in, in, incredibly difficult job to do that. But um, uh, so our podcast is about blank moments, and as you're talking there about sort of all the pitfalls of being on set, I'm wondering, have you had any? blank moments yourself on set or moments where you've been working with someone who's had, a, who's had a blank moment, forgotten their lines or something or any sort of difficult moments that like in the moment of performing you've had to kind of work through. 
Oh my god, yeah, my god. Um, <laughs> I it happens. It happens more often than not. But um, um, I remember being on stage one time. Uh, it's the only time I've ever dried. And uh, I sort of. I it was a packed house, and I was kind of doing this kind of funny monologue, and uh, I got a big laugh. And I, I could maybe got carried away with it. And I just thought, I just thought, that, that was really, really funny. And I could see them all laughing. And then I thought, it just, I just went completely blank. I thought, I don't know what my next line is. So I just repeated the gag. <laughs> <laughs> and they laughed again. And then I thought, I still don't know what the gag is. So I sort of made a bit of an act of just repeating that same gag. Where I thought, it, it, it will come back. It will come on to me. And eventually... After repeating this gag about four or five times, um, the, the line came to me, and I just, I just got on with it. But you've just got to remain completely calm, for, you know, because if you panic, you're completely done. I had a similar similar uh, time when I was playing Othello, and I was the first black Othello, first real black actor to play Othello at the National Theatre, and I, I just before I'm about to walk on, on my first night. The enormity of it just hit me. Mm. And I completely forgot my life. I, I had no idea what I, was, what I had to say. And I'm in the wings there with Simon Ross Beale, And I just thought, I don't know why fucking lies. So as I walked onto the stage, I had no idea what I was going to oh say. My God. <laughs> L- luckily, he had the first line because when he, when he went, nay, sir, I went, oh, now I know what it is. But I, as I walked yeah. on the stage, I had no idea what I was going to say. And uh, it, 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 it hap- obviously with film, obviously with film, you can just go again. Yeah. And yeah. it's, it's pretty easy, but on stage, it's an absolute nightmare. You really got to just settle. And, you know, particularly on stage when you, when you're with somebody who always forgets their lines, you, you're almost having to remember their lines as well mm. as your own lines and be giving them prompts and trying to help them out. But uh, it's it's uh, on stage. It's it's uh, it's very 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 tricky. Very tricky. Is it a thought that recurs as well when you you know that next night where you were going to go on? Were you did it come back like oh I forgot my lines when I I was forgetting my lines when I was coming on yesterday? Uh, or, well, you, or, or have you kind of exercised it once you've once got you, out there and done it? Because it's, normally it's a complete surprise. Normally you know you you go on. I'd say it's I'd say it's obviously it's more common in film and TV, but you know. With film and TV, you can sort of just do take two, and then in, in take two, you can forget, you can still forget it, and then you go, yeah. what "The fuck is that line? What the fuck?" And they go, "Boom, boom, okay, got it. Take two, action, blah, 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 blah. still forget it." And it's 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 the, the more to, it's when you start hearing take five, take six, <laughs> yeah. take, and the more yeah. the higher that number goes, the higher your anxiety. Mm. And, and 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 the less you're able to kind of process, particularly if it's a movie, and, and or if it's your first day, you just feel terrible. And you know, and as a as a director, I know, I know that you know, as a you know, first time now that I've been actually casting people and giving actors jobs, you know, I see somebody and I go, that's the guy for me. That's it. Him, I want him. And then they sign off on him, and you, you he gets the job. And then you meet him, and he's so proud, he's so keen, he's so happy to get it. And then action! <laughs> so, sorry, can I do that again? Yeah, yeah, sure, no problem. Just relax, just go. Action! 
I'm really sorry, I'm so nervous. And, and you just start thinking, I start really feeling for him. Yeah. But, but I mean, take eight, and he's still making the same mistake. You just feel so bad for him. And uh, at the end of the day, he came up to me, and he was just so gutted and apologetic and felt that he'd really let me down. I was like, no, it's all, it's all good, it's all, it's all good. And then you realise when, you, you, when you're editing, you only need one take. Yeah. And you only yeah. need a, a slice of it, and, or you just cut round him. Yeah. And, and um, even though he felt awful, uh, I, 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 knew, I knew that, look, just keep going, don't worry about it, it's all good. I can use another angle. I can use you. I use another take. It doesn't, you know. You can work around it. You can. There's many. There's a million ways of working around it. But uh, as an actor, you feel awful, awful that you can't get it out. The uh, the amount of magic yeah. that can be done in post can, can oh my God. save production. <laughs> oh my god! It's uh, it's uh, it's the magic, the magic of the yeah. magic of the TV industry. Yeah. But it does I mean you know hearing you being honest about these stories and we get it with other uh, actors on the podcast. I think people forget that actors are people. And when you go, you know, the audience are there for a live theatre production and they're feeling excited, but so are the performers. The performers are just as much as people as, as the audience. They're going to get those same emotions, that same anxiety, mm. those same feelings, even if they are the lead in this production at the National or whatever. And I think mm. I feel the same with footballers sometimes. People forget footballers are people and that they have the same emotions when they cross the white line and go on the pitch. And they're having to suppress these nervousness and anxiety while performing it's the same with actors especially in live performance I don't, although although uh, i i last couple of years have been lucky enough to play in the unicef soccer aid yes we wanted to ask uh, you about that yeah well we were so, going to ask you what does it feel like to save two penalties i'll i'll, I'll get up and we'll come, I'll come up on that <laughs> but but it, you know i i had i developed a whole new respect for footballers Running out at Old Trafford in that first year in front of 75,000 wow. people, it was like nothing I'd ever experienced. And the fact that they can do their job while being abused by about 30,000 people, yeah. you know, saying the most awful things, mm. to be able to shut that out, I, I, I thought I got a whole new level of respect for them. Because you've got a, not, you know, every, every minuscule of your performance is is criticised and, and if you make one mistake, you're done. So I, 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 it, was a, it was a really interesting experience to, to get into that arena and just realise that, and then go back into the dressing room and have a chat with John Terry and, you know, just be, <laughs> yeah. just be chatting like he's my mate and stuff. And we're all, we're all still on this, Twitter, on this um, WhatsApp group. And it, it's great to suddenly get a, t- a tweet. You know, you, you tweet, you know, you text something, and John Terry responds, and you go, "Fucking John Terry," you know, yeah. and 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 you know, people I grew up with, people I grew up watching. Yeah. It's, uh, you know, I'm sure it's as fascinating for them to see me, or to see an actor that they've been used to be watching on TV, as it is for me to see them, yeah. you know, a sportsman. And as you say, it's it's uh, you have to sometimes just kind of pinch yourself and then remember that they're just like us; they're humans. And yeah. uh, as such, susceptible to all the emotions that that, that that you're going through. Yeah, I played in charity matches in front of 500 people, and that that's the most I've played in front. And I was nervous as hell in that as well. <laughs> so I can't imagine what 70,000 is like. Oh, it was great. It was it was it was amazing. And then Cantona came on the pitch, and and, and it was just like this roar. Yeah. And I really yeah. felt privileged to be. I felt really privileged that day to be on on that pitch, and and then to as to save those two penalties was just 
it was just it was the stuff of dreams you know boy roy the rover stuff it was uh it was just magical i'll never forget that who did you really save from um the cricketer what was his name um played for england kiwi south african guy oh oh god i'm not into cricket but i know who you mean Kevin Peterson. Kevin Peterson. Yes. Yeah. Kevin Peterson and the guy from Westlife, the uh, the, the the keeper from Westlife. I say oh, this. I mean, they're, they're usually really good at penalties as well. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, they're, they're normally like you know rubbish. <laughs> <they're> the... <laughs> <laughs> Peterson really gave it a, a, a wallop, but I, yeah. I, I I I was really chuffed with that. And I was really chuffed with that save. Really chuffed. With did, it. Did, you have a, did you, you have a technique? Did, yeah, did you have a saves. technique? Were you doing the old grobble our legs or anything like that? No, it was. I remember. I remember David Seaman, and even, again, even in, in the in the in the five days that we worked together, you know, see, see David Seaman gave me these pearls of wisdom. You know, how to handle the ball, and you know, I'm a goalkeeper. I used to be a goalkeeper back in the day, but um, when you're at a professional level like that, you're getting professional coaching. It's wonderful how you sort of grow. And he 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 said to me, "Look at this level." Don't wait! Don't wait for uh, f- for them to kick it. He said, as soon as they put their head down to hit the ball, choose and go. Wow! Yeah. And um, he said, if you're lucky, you might get there. So I just sort of, as soon as uh, as soon as they, you know, I I I'd nearly saved three penalties, but um, I was just a little bit slow on the first one. But uh, I got quite close to a few on 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 that on that penalty shootout. So I I, I guessed and committed to it and when you guess and commit you're halfway there yeah i don't know what i think that's i think that's something from wizard of Oz or clicking the heels but you know, you're, you're, you're halfway there <laughs> guess and commit <laughs> david going back to those difficult moments you had with your career in england was there ever a moment where you thought you'd give up and stop yeah stop doing that yes acting? all the time i mean as i say it's um it's been a really tough career and, um, um, you know, as, a, as, as, as the door started to close on me and, uh, particularly when I had a family, you know, and I mm. suddenly realized I just can't make any money out of this. This is just not going to, it's not working for me anymore. Um, I, I, I just thought I've got to get, I've got to have a regular job. I've got to, you know, my skills don't trans, you know, my, you know, acting skills don't tra- really transfer to anything else. So I, I thought I was going to go and maybe I should drive a bus or, you know, there's a, a joke we used to have. There's always work down the post office, and you know, maybe I need to go and be a post postie or something. You know, but I, I knew when I became a father that that um, this was going to be really challenging. Mm. And uh, as I say, um, the weekend before Homeland, I was I got Homeland. I was. I'll never forget, I was lying in bed, just looking up at the ceiling. It was about three o'clock in the morning. And I was just done. I just thought I'd got no money. And I I, I had a really wonderful, you talk about these people that come into your life. I had an amazing bank manager who I had since I'd left drama school. And um, when when I started to work, he he... He called me back up and said, "Look, come and work. Come and I'm now at private banking. You know, I've got my own division and clients." He said, "Won't you come back and and, and be with me?" So I, I did, but that was when times were good. So mm. when times got really bad, you know, he knew he, he always believed in me, and he just said, 
He said, I, I know you're great. I know you're a great actor. He just said, you know, but he said, I know you're having tough times. He said, just, just, just write a check. He said, you know, and I was writing checks and, and he would just okay them. And my overdraft was up to 12 grand. And he just kept saying, just write, don't worry about it. I'll do what I can. Wow. And just continually, I, I like, I don't know about you guys, but I can remember the last time I heard that insufficient funds tone at, a, at, a, at an oh, ATM. Oh God, yeah. It's terrifying when you're in the middle of town and you know, you want to, you want to get the bus home and you, oh yeah, I don't need money. I'll put, I'll put the card in the wall and it went insufficient funds. I thought, all right, I'll get, I'll get, I'll get 60, I'll get 50 pounds instead. Insufficient funds. I'll get 30 pounds out. Insufficient funds. I'm like, fuck, I had no money. So I had to call him and say, uh, I'm in the middle of Soho and my card's not working and he just said okay okay don't worry about it give me 20 minutes uh uh can you go into a branch he's how much do you need i said well that's yeah just 50 quid he said go to a branch go into oxford street branch i'll okay it and i just went in and then cashed a check for 50 and so i was really up against it guys really seriously up against it and that was playing into my mental health and playing into feeling of worklessness yeah. and yeah. and and I'm not being valued and you know meanwhile I'm seeing I've got white friends of mine actor friends of mine who are turning work down wow leading roles and and you know I'd you know, I'd kind of chat to them and I'd go how's it going and I go yeah it's great it's great I just turned this thing down this morning didn't really fancy it I'm like you didn't fancy it yeah, I didn't like the writing, or I didn't want to go. I didn't want to go Stoke and film in Stoke, and I'm like, fucking hell! Mm. You know, I haven't got a pot to piss in, and you're turning leading roles down for BBC and ITV because you don't fancy it. And uh, I, I knew I was in trouble like, because they just don't make those roles for. They just weren't writing those roles that I was. I was overqualified for a lot of the roles, and yeah. And then, and then suddenly just surplus the requirements. So it was a very scary place to be. Yeah, amazing to have that support from, from, the, from the bank manager. I mean... I, I, I've written to him. And, you know, I've written to him. You know, he doesn't work there anymore. But, I, you know, when, I, when the weekend... Again, when I got Homeland, I, I sent him a little email and said, I've just got this fucking great show. And he, he, when I knew, he said, I knew you would. He said, I, I knew you would. So I'm really pleased for you. And I'm, and I'm really pleased that you finally, you know... You finally found success because I knew you would, but it just it would just take some time. And I was I was almost in tears because yeah, I yeah. someone showing that faith in you and, and knowing that you 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 you, you, were, you were good enough, but you just didn't have the opportunity. It meant a lot to me. Yeah, I mean, and it, it does mean a lot when people have belief in you because it's very easy for your own self belief to ebb away and and to disappear completely. But especially as you were saying, there are these these white actors who are getting these opportunities and, and you as a black actor were not getting them and you're, you're more than qualified for them. So that, that's even more frustrating because you've done the work, you've got the talent and you're still not getting the opportunities. I mean, that can yeah. lead to even more sense of worthlessness or you know, not belonging when it's not your fault. Oh, completely. And um, as you say, it's, it's, it, gets, it gets even more sort of... Uh, um, frustrating because you just think you just think you know you're, you're trying you're trying not to get you're trying not to get um angry with your mates uh, but but 
I guess that's you know that, that term white privilege when, when yeah. they, they they just don't they just don't realize it yeah. and you know they don't realize that as they as they're talking to you about turning stuff down and you know you know and and because they know there's going to be another one along and you know it's 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 really frustrating really really frustrating and then and then when they do hit a, a tough patch they get they completely they get completely destroyed because then which which is what I've I I've, I've seen you know as my career in America has taken off a lot of those guys who I was close with you know found maybe their career tailing off a little bit and um massive insecurity massive 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 insecurity and having to counsel you know as as our as as work becomes more diverse you find that in america as work becomes more diverse and more actors of color are getting leading roles a lot of those guys are getting really insecure and suddenly going well why is it going to them and why is it not going to us and why is it going to women and suddenly all those all those white male actors who could literally take their pick five or six years ago are now realizing that they're not quite so sought after and uh they're really struggling there there's an, an emotional there's an emotional toll on those guys because they they suddenly realize that they're just they're just in the running as a, and not automatically getting those roles that they used to they used to spurn because they didn't fancy the writer but they but they're now experiencing mm. what yeah. actors of color what yeah. female actors what actors from the lgbt community have been yeah. experiencing for years All their they're lives. not getting a taste yeah. of what yeah. that's been like and they really don't like it they they they're very they're very um they're pushing back a lot and 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 um you know there's a, there, there's a lot of pushback against this wave of British talent, which is going out, 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 out to America. And, and likewise, even in the black community, there's a bit of pushback against, about, against some of the, the success of some of the black actors in America and Hollywood. And I can, I can sort of understand that to a certain extent. You know, we're, um, we, we are different. And, I, I, it's, it's, and it's, 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 it's controversial. And I know people, people are, are um, you know, it's, many people have different, many different views, but... Um, Everybody's got different pain. You know, the Irish have a particular pain. It comes out in their poetry. It comes out in their writing. Same way the Scots have a particular character to their, their nationalism. It's very pr- proud. It's different to the English, different to the Welsh. And I think African-Americans have a very separate pain to British pain. We deal with, we're both brought up in very different societies and whereas their racism is much more overt you know, ours is much more subtle and hidden, and 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 and, and that is uh, that 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 creates a very different attitude. Which I think, I think, you know, I think some African Americans uh, have a problem with when they see us representing them on screen. They can see that there's perhaps an element that they don't recognise because we're mm. coming at it from a perspective of character. Whereas they're coming at it of, of a perspective of of culture, and um, and uh, sometimes they they have a problem with that. I'm 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 genuinely actually getting a bit emotional with that because I think um, everyone has a different type of pain. Is I'm genuinely getting quite emotional. Um, is 
it's so true. And it's an understanding. When you understand that other people have a pain, and you do as well, but everyone、mm. has a different one, I think we get so much closer to connecting to each other. It's just, it's just understanding, man. Just understand each other. We're all, we all have a pain, and it's okay. And it's okay that it's different. And then once you get onto that level, yeah, I'm actually generally getting a bit emotional at that. That's really interesting. Really, it's really.、Um... Yeah, that's lovely that you feel that. Feel that, but it's 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 it, it,、uh, since the Black Lives Matter thing kicked off.、Um, you know, I've been quite quite vocal on Twitter,、mm. but some of the stuff you get is depressing. Some of the answers I get, and some of the some of the people who challenge me and sort of white splain my own pain. It's 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 painful, and you have to. Rather than engaging now, I just block、yeah. or I just mute because it, it's 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 they try they're trying to dismiss my pain. Yeah. So that's oh that was forty years ago. You should get over that. Oh yeah, he's only moaning about stuff that when he was a kid. He should get over that. And I say, well, would you say that to somebody who was you know you you, you read all these examples of you know all these people who have been abused as children. Or you know, guys who have been abused as priests or you know, by priests, and forty, fifty years later, how it how it's destroyed them. Yeah,、mm. that pain it just never goes away. And and people who have this attitude to say get over it or or try and dismiss it, it they're only adding to that pain. As you say, rather than understanding it,、yeah. they don't realise that by sort of dismissing it, they are only maximising that pain and kind of. Because it's trauma,、yeah. and it's、uh, something that can be very, very painful. Yeah, absolutely, David. I wanted to ask you about、um, your brilliant documentary, Psychosis and Me.、Mm. Um, was that for you making that documentary? Was that a cathartic experience for you, or did it dredge up some of that? You know, we talked about we we're talking about pain there,、mm. but of different kind of pain, your own sort of mental health. Did it didrap some of that stuff again for you, or was it, it was, was it a cathartic experience? It wasn't cathartic. It was the toughest thing I've ever done, and、um, I mean, you can see on screen that that the, the day when I suddenly remembered everything, I'd buried all of that stuff. I've been it's been buried for thirty years, and、uh, that morning when I suddenly went back to the hospital with my mates, I suddenly realised. Fuck! I, I I'd gone into this documentary thinking it was going to be, can you believe it, fun,、uh, interesting,、mm. uh, but I I had no idea it was going to be scary, because I suddenly realised that that day that I had my records in my hands, and I'm reading just little snippets of stuff, and a lot of it was to do with race, and、mm. identity, and I kept repeating one phrase, I have to save the black boy. And it was it was it, it just destroyed me, Giles, and it, I, I I was really scared, and、um, uh, I, I nearly had another breakdown because I I was didn't realise that we were filming this in Birmingham, the majority of the time in Birmingham. I was put up in a hotel in Birmingham, so I was away from my family, away from my friends, stuck in this hotel room, just going out of my mind, and just suddenly realising that I I. I was. The records were just sitting on the shelf, just 
screaming at me, you know, and all this truth and all this stuff that I'd gone through. So I, I was really, I was terrified. And uh, each day I didn't know what I was going to discover. So I was very scared and uh, and sort of worried and, you know, just afraid that I was going to find something that was going to really uh, just, 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 just knock me down and, and tear me out, tear me inside out. And so I started, I got a bit, I got a bit antagonistic with the, my director who was fantastic and, and, uh, pushing back a lot and questioning a lot of stuff that she wanted to do. And, um, and eventually we found those kids and, and I suddenly found myself in that class in, that, in, in, mm. in the, um, early intervention class and that was the day that I sort of was saved in a sense because I, I, that, I could have been sitting in that class myself as a victim. And I, I was, it was the first time anybody had ever explained what psychosis was. And I'm sitting there with these kids and I'm doing this documentary and they, they were ignoring me. And then at one point I put my hand up and answered this question. And she went, yes, that's right. And this kid, one of the girls, she went, well, how do you know? You're, you're on the telly. And I went, no, it's happened to me. She went, what? I went, yeah, yeah, I had a breakdown as well. And she was, and all of them were suddenly like, you've had a breakdown. I was like, yeah, yeah. And the whole thing just changed. And I was really engaged with how the teacher was teaching about psychosis. And I forgot the cameras completely. And, and um, I, I was in that class and answering questions and really engaged with what she was saying. And at the end of it, I was firing questions off to her and a couple of the young kids come up and said, can we talk to you? And she was just like, keep filming, keep filming, you know. And the whole documentary span on that day because we discovered the heart of what the documentary was about, which was me learning about what had happened to me. Mm. So I then interviewed the psychiatrist and I then re-interviewed the kids. And rather than it being me just trying to find some random person to follow uh, and which is what the pre whole previous week was about going out on blue light calls at one o'clock in the morning to anybody who they thought were having a breakdown. It was really stressful. And, and, um, I, I was really struggling. And, uh, so, so it wasn't really cathartic. It was really challenging, dark. And, uh, I think, I think with a couple of days to go, um, uh, it was, it was after I actually started, I played Soccer Aid as well during it. Oh, wow. And oh, I was, really? I was okay. exhausted. And um, um, I went back to the, 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 the centre and, and uh, um, I, I, I opened the paper the, and in the morning and somebody had, somebody had said, uh, no, I, I was flicking through Twitter. I, I hadn't, that was right. I'd been up all night just trying not to go crazy. And uh, I couldn't sleep. I was pacing around, having a bit of a drink. I was really in a bad way. And um, I opened Twitter, big mistake, at, at like, <laughs> yeah, at like six o'clock in the morning, which I never do that now. I never open my own Twitter feed. I'll have a look at the news. I will never open my own Twitter feed till at least 10, 11 o'clock in the morning until I've woken up yeah. and got my head together. Because yeah. yeah. I looked at the, it, it was about 6 o'clock in the morning, I opened it, and it was like, England goalkeeper goes crazy. 
you know, England goalkeeper had a nervous breakdown and it was just so badly written. Yeah. And, and I was just freaked out and I rang my producer and she could hear in my voice I was not, not, not well and we cancelled filming that day and, um, and I, I, that was when I said, you know, I, I sort of freaked out a little bit and I, I realised I was making their documentary and not the documentary I wanted to make. And mm-hmm. I, I said, I want to talk about race. Race is a really big part of this. And, and she then, we then had to, you know, find that black psychologist and, and, and talk about race. And that really helped me understand it from a racial perspective. But it was, a, I wouldn't say it was cathartic, Giles. I'd say it was the toughest thing I've ever done. And the previous, uh, the, the, the days, I, I never, I didn't watch it when it was on, when it mm. was on TV. Uh, and the days preceding this, the airing of it um, were the most overwhelming days I've ever had, really, in, as, a, as a public figure. Because people were just coming up to me on the street and, telling me the most intimate secrets, telling me about their, my, my dad had a breakdown and oh, my wow. mom had a breakdown, my, my sister did. And I wasn't like a celebrity. They were just coming up to me wanting to talk to me about psychosis. And mm. every single time they started talking, I'd literally burst into tears. And I'd be sobbing on the street. Excuse me. <sighs> With complete strangers. Yeah. You know, talking about these really personal this really personal stuff. And it was just overwhelming. It was just so overwhelming. And I, I was, I, I, I thought I, I, I couldn't, I couldn't handle it. I couldn't really handle it. And, and, um, you know, blood of tears of my therapist. It was just too much. It was too much. People, people were just coming up left, right and center. People just coming up to me saying thank you and telling me their experiences and, it was too much, man. It was too much. And I was desperate to fucking leave. Yeah. And I luckily got back on a plane and went back to Vancouver and, um, and sort of, um, uh, ran away really. Uh, so mm. really coming back, coming back, uh, th- just before, uh, lockdown, it, that's also why it's been wonderful for me to, to come back and, and not be overwhelmed with, yeah. So when I do come back, so I'm not, I'm not, I'm not here a lot. I'm, I'm, I'm away yeah, filming, yeah. and normally when I am back, I just get overwhelmed by requests and, can you come and do this? Can you come and do that? And I didn't have any of that, and it was lovely to just be home, be a dad, and you know, just, just, yeah. just, just not have anything. So I've really had a great opportunity to rest and and and, and take stock because that documentary was too much, man, too much. Yeah, yeah, but it's well. It, yeah, I mean, it's an incredible, powerful piece of work. And um, was I was just thinking that you 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 said you sort of went back to Vancouver and stuff. Was was work was work helpful at that point to go back and do work? Um, it was it was a helpful distraction, but I have to say, um, I wasn't right. I you know, I it, it took me a while to get over that documentary I, I didn't i think i was kind of re-traumatized quite a lot mm. and um uh i i i really struggled actually they really really struggled i was glad i was away and not you know not 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 getting i, I must admit it, it does get lonely when i'm away but at the same time it's kind of re- a relief to you know not not be dealing with 
Brexit and racism and England and you know yeah. it was all it was so tumultuous here and you know I found that as I'm as I've been back this this uh, you know this last couple of weeks how just how aggressive and chaotic it is and, and the really right wing government that we have and yeah. what, this mm. whole the whole conversation where we are in this country it's so nasty and 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 none there's hardly any empathy and it's 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 tough and i and i i enjoyed getting away from that so yeah. kind of sitting I've got to be honest with you sitting getting stoned on a sofa getting stoned and pissed and it was a relief just to just 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 get out of it and just sort of and mm. just sort of not 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 deal with anything and I, actually i realized because i was asked to write a book and uh, eventually i started writing a little bit and i really started to enjoy writing and i realized that actually that um that, that it wasn't healthy just to sort of to run away and 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 sort of ignore ignore what's going on uh it's not really healthy so so i've um i started to re-engage as it were and um you know when i go back in september hopefully i'll be writing my book and and being being a lot more engaged than just simply sitting watching true crime documentaries on on the on, yeah. on, on netflix or reruns of colombo <laughs> just one more thing no, there's nothing everything wrong with colombo <laughs> <laughs> uh, i think as well david though it, it's i know it, it it was overwhelming getting the response to that documentary but you don't know how many people you may have helped those people coming up to you on the street they may have never told anyone that they may have never felt they could able to talk about their experiences i'm sure you've helped so many people with that documentary and yeah you know it's a lot it was a trauma for you to go back through but when we talk about our mental health issues and we we open up about it especially if you're a public figure you normalize talking about mental health i think you empower other people to do the same and 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 that change that can bring in people i think is is powerful yeah i mean i i, I would agree with that and, and um you know, again, people think that because you're famous, you're immune to yeah. problems. And um, uh, I, I've always hated that word celebrity, anyway. So, so um, you know, I, I, you know, you, you, you read about these YouTube stars who've who've made millions and then just get burnt out because it's it's tough being a public figure. It's tough. It can be extremely damaging for you to 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 to. Um, to uh pretend that everything's okay and uh you know they say it's, it's okay not to be okay and uh, and, uh, and, uh, and i i i think that's what what's what's been you know i've i've always, as i said i've always talked about this um i always knew i would talk about this uh and i've you know it, it used to be a kind of pub anecdote and my breakdown was a bit of a late night pub anecdote but it's uh, i'm i'm pleased that it's uh that it's eventually become something much more than that. And uh, uh, um, I'm, I'm really glad that it's helped people. And when I showed it here in Streatham, I showed it in a theatre the um, just before screening. And after that, we had a Q&A, and there were at least four black men that came up to me, young black guys who came up to me afterwards, who were clearly 
in the midst of a psychotic episode. And they were like, so do you think I should stop smoking weed? Do you think I, and I was like, yeah, right now. Stop right now because I know exactly where you are. I said, I think you need to just maybe get, get some help, slow it down because, uh, you know, I can see that you're racing a little bit. Mm. And, you know, maybe you need to just, he said, yeah, I was really, really keen into what you were saying about being in a computer game and how it was all, I was really understanding that. And I was like, dude, I know you do because I can see it. Yeah. So mm. slow down, maybe, uh, you know, maybe less of the burning and, and, you know, maybe, you know, pop and go, maybe go and try and go and see somebody. Um, and it's, it's particularly been impactful in the black community because, you know, a lot of, you know, a lot of us are sort of sitting around, especially young black men, you know, dealing with a lot of issues and smoking a lot. And, you know, we think it's sort of uh, a rite of passage, I guess, to kind of smoke weed. Young people, I guess, I do think it's a rite of passage to smoke. And this isn't the sort of Jamaican weed we used to smoke back in the 80s and 90s. A lot of this stuff is really strong and, um, you know, it's 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 not not healthy to be sitting there all day burning and listening to you know drill music it's uh it's gonna it's gonna affect your mental health mm. absolutely well david it's been an absolute pleasure to talk to you today and really appreciate how candid you've been with us and um i know we've been trying to work this out for quite a while so i do appreciate mm. you giving us the time and i know you've got a busy day on Last thing I wanted to say was at the end of the podcast, we always like to ask our guests um, there any advice they might give to our listeners going through their own difficult or blank moments, as we call them. Um, so, yeah, if you've got any sort of sort of words of advice you could give our listeners who, who might be going through a difficult time themselves. Um, I, I would say that, you know, life is full of seasons and, uh, you know, getting onto my 55th year this year, there have been many seasons in my life. And as you say, some of them are really bleak. And it's about getting, trying to get through them and knowing that there will be, as you say, a brighter day. And um, life's full of challenges, man. And they're never going to stop. Um, but it's about trying to find a way of getting, trying to find a way of getting through it. And, if it's if it's taking the dog for a walk or going for a walk or reading or going for you know getting out and finding a place where you can find a moment of peace and solace and just to, just to convince yourself that it will pass because um, right when you're in the midst of it you feel it's going to go on forever and you know as I said to you for you know, earlier you know that night sitting up staring at the ceiling with 80 quid in the bank mm. and two kids in the other room. I, I thought I was done. And then the next morning I'm, I've got a job which, you know, propels me to the Golden Globes and the Emmys. And it's yeah. always darkest before dawn. Mm. And if you can hold on and get yourself through, it, it, there's gold in it. There's gold in that bleakness. There's gold in that moment and because you you will find when you do get through it that it was probably an incredibly valuable period for you, an, an incredibly valuable learning experience for you that perhaps you needed to go through to make you a better person. So I would just I would I would encourage people to not to lose hope, but to sort of dig deep and 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 know that 
that, that those difficult times are school days, school days for you to sort of learn and and take 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 the opportunity to 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 learn about yourself, the world, what you think, because when you, when you do emerge the other side. You know, you'll be able to draw on all that experience and it'll be gold, valuable stuff. That's great advice. Thank you. Yeah. And I can't believe we got through the whole pod and we haven't spoken about Birmingham City yet. That was one of our, <laughs> one of our notes. How are they doing? They're 17th, are they in the league, um, I think, at the moment? Mid, mid-table mediocrity. I mean, I, used to, I, I liked it when we were either battling for survival, mm. like drama. We like drama. So battling yeah. for, needing a point on the last day of the season was... Far more exciting than mid-table mediocrity, well, I have to well, say. Well, we're Crystal Palace fans, so we understand we're, we're, that. <laughs> bang yeah, on. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm quite happy with mid-table mediocrity. We'll take it at the moment. When you're in the Premier League, mid-table mediocrity is good. <laughs> <laughs> well, David, thank you so much. Honestly, I really, really appreciate it. Thank it's you. been a real privilege to talk to you. Awesome. Really enjoyed it, guys. There we go. That was David Hayward on the Blank Podcast. I mean, I think, yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, it was a, it was a. I'm a bit speechless actually because we went to so many places. Um, but yeah, I'm really told you, told you, it got emotional. Yeah, I was really touched by by a lot of what David was saying. It was really, um, yeah. It's, but I'm sort of going to have to take a little while to sort of process it all. I think. I think the thing what makes this podcast successful. I'll use that in the loosest term of the word um <laughs> i think what makes this podcast popular i think with our listeners is is how open the guests are yeah. you know you and i could talk and talk and talk but really unless the guest comes on and is open about their experiences th- this podcast doesn't really mean anything and for david to come on and talk so candidly about his troubles i think it's just incredibly powerful i'm actually getting a bit emotional now talking about it again um it's incredibly powerful and that thing he said about everyone's pain is different just hit me. You know when someone says something and it hits you mm. right between the, you know, right between your um. Your well, chest. it was a gut punch for me. Yeah, it was a gut punch for me. It was um. It was just yeah. And David, of course, you know, t- <laughs> talks so powerfully. Anyway, he's an actor. He's an orator. So he, he's good at talking. But yeah. um, I just thought he was uh, just a, an incredible person. You know, wonderful actor, yeah. but just an incredible, yeah, incredible yeah. person. Uh, Phil, if uh, and I, I, we say this a week a lot, I know, and it, but it was sincerely a privilege to sit and absolutely. talk to him now. absolutely, yeah, and uh, and and hear his story, and I, I'm yeah very grateful for David, and uh, yeah, go and check out his work because he's um you know he's he's a brilliant brilliant guy. That that book is going to be good as well, isn't it? It's, yeah, definitely. I I I I think about our pod a lot, and I think about people who have come on, but I'm going to be thinking about this episode for. For a long time, I yeah. think. Yeah, me too. Yeah. Um, so too, yeah, I, I cannot thank David enough um, for his time uh, and his honesty today. Oh, look! Before I start um, bawling, um, shall we read a tweet? Well, I've out? got a tweet. Okay. I've got a tweet. I've got a tweet. This is a tweet from me. It's not me. Oh. That's just the name of the person. <laughs> oh, here we go. Oh, here we it's go. Vix. The success has got to his head. Here we go. Yeah. Uh, no, it's from Vix, and she says, "I smiled from start to finish listening to." Last week's blank podcast with the multi-talented Blake Harrison. 
Uh, a kind, inspiring role model whose enthusiasm and passion for acting, writing and directing shines through. Thanks to all. So, yeah, that's a, that's a few episodes back. But, yeah, it was um, brilliant to talk to Blake, who's obviously um, having a, flour- a flourishing career in, in acting and obviously writing and directing now as well. Yeah, thanks, Vix. That's a nice tweet to receive. And, um, yeah, Blake's a legend. Absolutely top man. That was a... Yeah. That was an enjoyable episode. Uh, it was very much so. Shame as a Millwall fan, as he said, but you know what? You can't have everything. So No, 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 that's true. I mean, <laughs> we can't all be supporters of the same team. That would be boring. It would be boring. That's true. That's true. Um, we wouldn't have rivalries, would we? We wouldn't, which is the best thing about football. Um, yeah. So if you would like to send us a tweet um, about any of our episodes or anything you've picked out from any any of them, going back to you know episode number one, anything you've learned or enjoyed, please do get in contact. We love hearing from you. Our Twitter handle is... At blank pod. It is indeed. And we're also on Facebook and Instagram, although no one seems to send us stuff on it. But it's fine. You know, you concentrate on Twitter, it's good. But our handle is exactly the same on those platforms. At blank pod. We do get some Instagram messages, actually, Jim. Do we? If, sh- you, if you actually check it. I don't it. check the Instagram. <laughs> <laughs> I've outed myself there as a, as a lazy yeah. Instagram person. <laughs> uh, For the people that do run the social media channels, yeah. me, yeah. Um, we do get traffic on all platforms. Oh, that's good to know. That's very good Facebook to know. as well. I, I will. I'm going to be better. I'm going to try and make it my mission to dip into those platforms and... Uh, <laughs> interact with people because I'm, I'm a bit lazy with that um but you can email us if you want to you don't have to send us a message on social media you can also email us we are on email at the blank podcast 2018 at gmail.com seamless um well thank you so much for listening to the blank podcast this week um with david harewood what a, what a great guest and what a great episode and uh, we'll see you again next week with another brilliant guest bye